The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the big finish, ninth Doctor story, the, the final part of a three-part story called Food Fight. Uh, cue uh, Bluto Blutowski yelling Food Fight in Animal House. <laughs> I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Very good, thanks. Uh, thank you for filling in for me last week. I had my jury duty. Thankfully, it was only just one day, and I was able to return to the chair in order to uh, come back to podcasting. Uh, folks, I want to tell you about something very special. You can now get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt, telephone case, coffee mug, and more by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. These are some, it's a fun design that features me and Father Corey and Jimmy uh, as some of the doctors with the TARDIS. And uh, you can check it all out over there at sqpn.com slash merch. I want to tell you about another show on the network you will definitely enjoy called Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, where Jimmy and I explore mysteries, both natural and supernatural, from the faith and reason perspectives. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. And I tell you what's coming up this week on Mysterious World, except I don't know, because I don't know when this will air in relation to it. (laughs) So it's (laughs) a mystery. Things are a bit up in the air as we're trying to figure out what the BBC is going, when it's going to release the 13th Doctor special. You've probably already seen it and heard our discussion of it by the time you hear this episode. (laughs) Our our planning sometimes can be a little wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. So (laughs) exactly. All right, but we are finishing up this uh, fun story, uh, the the Ravagers story. It's a three-part story featuring the Ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this part of the story? The TARDIS is taking the Doctor and new companion Nova on a hopscotch journey through time, letting them pick up their recent allies, Lieutenant Faraday and his commander Halloran from 1959 England, and also Marcus Aurelius Gallius from ancient Rome. Meanwhile, the Doctor is reprogramming the Prime Drone from the agricultural planet, and when they arrive there, they use it to reprogram the other drones so they can take them to the Sphere of Freedom and use the drones to eat the time particles which the Doctor believes are causing all the problems. But when they get to the Sphere of Freedom and trigger their plan, it goes wrong. It turns out that the whole scheme of using time eddies to snatch people from history and feed their experiences into an elite virtual reality game has been Audrey's attempt to save the universe. Early on, she learned that the Ravagers would stop eating physical things if they were exposed to a fear pheromone from sentient life forms, and she designed the elite game to create enough of these pheromones to keep the Ravagers in check and stop them from devouring the universe. Now that the Doctor has removed the time particles linking people displaced in time from the game, The Ravagers break free and the Time Eddies start going out of control, meaning the coming destruction of the universe really was the Doctor's fault. A Time Eddy engulfs the Doctor and he begins psychically appearing to Audrey at different points in her life, letting him learn about what's really been going on. 
Eventually, the Time Eddie deposits the Doctor in the realm of the Ravagers, but he uses the sonic screwdriver, the TARDIS key, the Gallifreyan control node, and the TARDIS itself to pull himself to safety in the TARDIS. Realizing he's arrived at a point before he first went to 1959 London, he begins making different choices to rewrite history. He goes to the Sphere of Freedom, where he meets Nova, but she doesn't remember him from the original now-aborted timeline. The Doctor also meets Audrey, who trusts him now that he fully understands what's been going on. He reveals that the Ravagers are addicted to fear pheromones, but it isn't those of the game players or the time-displaced people. Instead, they're addicted to their own fear pheromones as they vicariously experience the thrill of danger in the game. So, all they need to do is create an endless loop of randomly changing gameplay, and it will give the Ravagers all the pheromones they need, allowing all the displaced people to return to their own times. Audrey agrees to do this, and at the Doctor's behest, she agrees to pay the Sphere of Freedom employees enough money that they can go elsewhere if they wish. After a victory celebration of fireworks, the Doctor beats Nova in a cafe. She still doesn't remember him, but he insists on fulfilling his promise to take her somewhere nice. The end. Excellent. No, no, no you need to do it more Mr. Burnsy. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like, like Audrey, excellent. Yeah. Uh, so, uh... My first question is, where did the node come from? This Gallifreyan control node. It's never really said, right? It's not explicit, but they say that it is a, um, that Audrey found it at, in some kind of debris field in space from a massive explosion. And um, the doctor is now referring to the Time Lords as a long dead race. And so I've assumed, even though there's not proof, that it's something from the Time War. And that's uh, that's why the doctor has been particularly evasive about describing its functions and doesn't want and why it's so easily turned into a weapon and things like that. Right. And yeah, that's that, been the same assumption yeah. I've been going off as, as well. OK. And that, yeah, to recall that this the doctor at this point thinks that his people are all dead and he's right. the, the last survivor of his race. OK, so. um uh, they have this like reverse navigating the TARDIS by homing in on Nova's DNA. They're trying to get back to the drone planet in a time eddy and his all of his equipment still has all these other DNA bits in it. And that's why they end up in the arena with the robot warrior with Lieutenant Faraday and they bring him on board and they keep bringing people on board, which is fun. But Faraday, mm. he tells Faraday, we're trying to uh, home in on DNA and Faraday doesn't recognize the word DNA when the doctor says he's locked onto it. Which is funny because, as the doctor points out, Faraday kind of predates DNA, in a sense, or the knowledge mm -hmm. of DNA. It wasn't publicly, popularly known at this point in 1959, yeah. Right. Watson and Crick were still working They're still on basically it, working it on it. Yeah, they're still figuring yeah. it out at this point. Yeah. So that, I thought that was a, a nice detail to, to include that uh, so that we don't have that anachronism. Oh, I, even better. I like when the doctor is explaining to Nova where Faraday, uh, where Faraday is from. And she says he's from 1959 London and blah, 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 blah on Earth. And Nova says, uh, I recognize the word Earth. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, pe where people just don't have, you know, extensive knowledge of everything uh, that, you know, right. that that's good. That's good. Well, and they had a great, another great, uh, time uh reference there with where he comes from a point where it's an orbital dog and no aliens 
Right. And of course, Herbal Dog yeah. is the, the Russian experiments in orbit. Like the, aliens hadn't landed yet. Yeah, like of the dog. Yep. And then we have we keep having these these uh flashback flash yeah, sort of flashbacks to Audrey throughout her timeline every five or ten years encountering the doctor showing up as you mentioned, like psychically or um sometimes talking, sometimes not. And we don't get an explanation for that until the the end, as you said. And so he has her he has he shows up and now following on from last episode her attempt to save the planet has failed save the planet from the ravagers the president is dead uh and um she gets mad because he he doesn't help her like he obviously knows something but he's not helping and that's so that i, I found that um interesting and i my note at the time is why is the doctor watching her and not doing so yeah i didn't well i found so I one ask I, I overall I like the story, but one thing I didn't like about it is the way the doctor and Audrey are not talking to each other and just being straight out about things. They keep mm-hmm. being cagey with each other in order to keep the plot going. Neither one of them can know too soon what's everything that's really going on. And so I'm a little frust I find myself a little frustrated as a writer with the dialogue it's like mm-hmm. these characters are being too cagey with each other just that you haven't justified sufficiently if you want them to withhold information you haven't sufficiently justified why they're doing that mm-hmm. and right. i and it, it comes off as a little artificial to me yeah no, i agree i i did like the fact that the doctor throughout this is he's not omnipotent you know sometimes the doctor can feel a little bit like he He's a step ahead of everybody, including the audience, and is always, you know, doing the right thing. Even if he has setbacks, it's not because he, he's, he's, you know, necessarily made a mistake. It's just because it's hard. And this one, he makes mistakes. He's got limited information. He does the wrong thing, uh, mm-hmm. and he has to recover from it. So I, I like that dramatic aspect of it that yeah. the doctor. I do very much like that the doctor is making mistakes, and he has to conclude, yes, this really was all my fault. He's, it's not like. David Tennant's preening and Matt Smith's uber preening over mm-hmm. how cool he is. Right, right, yeah. yes. He's a limited doctor. The only problem I have with it is kind of how they, they close this out and he basically turned time travel into a deus ex machina. Well, all I got to do is go back before the problem started and we can just fix everything. I made the mistake, but I can go back and stop myself from doing it in the first place type of deal. Right. I- I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. I mean, it, it it's a time travel show, and that issue comes up, and you either set the rules of your universe so that you can't change time, or so that you can change time, or mix it up so like mm-hmm. there are fixed points in time. And this just wasn't a fixed point, so the Doctor can rewrite everything that happened. You just got to be careful to avoid the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure de- a bit where it's like, Later, let's remember later on we're going to come back and leave a gun right here oh here's a gun <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that is that is that is awesome though in bill and ted's excellent adventure <laughs> i mean far. that's exactly what you should do if you're a time yeah. traveler in a universe susceptible to change <laughs> just make exactly. notes make notes okay later on we're going to be very busy travel get traveling to reset things up uh so and, and actually river song does that kind of thing i mean yes. she sends sends the doctor messages and then jumps out of an airlock knowing he'll be there to catch her. That's true. That's true. 
Well, we uh, just talked about the curse of curse of fatal death. Then that's what they did. <laughs> yes, yeah, I went was, back and talked to, and gave the the architect dinner, and so now I can do this. That's true. That is true. Uh, so then we have um, the other thing I want to mention is that the stakes. This is the universe is at risk. Yeah. Stakes. So this is the, the and, usual thing, and that's because it's the reintroduction of of Christopher Eccleston to the Doctor Who franchise. Yeah, they wanted to give him a big three part universe threatening return story. Yeah. Um, after this, in the range that Big Finish is now calling the Ninth Doctor Adventures, that feature Christopher Eccleston, they go back to what you would expect. It's more like what you'd see on TV, where you have individual hour long or a little bit less than an hour standalone episodes. Okay. So, like in in the next uh, three audio play set, which is called "Responds to All Calls," which is a line taken from the exterior of the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, it's three standalone stories. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I don't mind, you know, occasionally having universe threatening stories. It's when it's, you know, one after the other, after the other. Every week. Yeah. Every week is another. The universe is under threat every week. And even though they resolve it for now, I'm still a little nervous. I mean, for this scheme, because you've got the uh, Ravagers getting their fear hits in uh, mm-hmm. in this auto- automated gameplay that's randomly changing to keep it interesting. And how long till <laughs> Dust gets into the game console? And, <laughs> and when does starts- the server crash? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, I was just thinking, you know, how, is, is there a point where the Ravagers could get uh, uh, acclimated to the amount of fear response they get from the game and they need more? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that that could that's be an interesting it, return to the story. That's the way addiction is said to work. Yep. 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 So, uh, we end up back again in 1959 in London. Uh, again, not the correct time, Eddie, this time. He, uh, I like how up, they notice immediately, hey, the Romans are speaking English again. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Because the TARDIS is there to translate for them. He, uh, picks up Halloran and, uh, Marcus Aurelius Gallius. Uh, he, he has, a. The doctor has Nova disarm or hold uh, Marcus's sword because he keeps wanting to whack people with it. Um, yeah. And uh, Nova accuses the doctor of constantly giving explanations that no one except us, the audience, understands, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the doctor's explaining things for our sake, of course. I also like, despite how reflexively violent Gallius is, he he actually gets some good lines and, and mm-hmm. plays a useful role because the way they get the plan implemented when they get to the sphere of freedom because initially audrey is still not trusting the doctor and tries to arrest him and the rest of the gang and she gets the doctor but the gang escapes and using nova's local knowledge of the sphere of freedom they're like hiding out in the sewers and then gallius is the one who comes up with the plan Mm -hmm. to get nova back into the tardis and they use kind of a modified at least based on what the doctor says it sounds like Gallius is um, using one of Hannibal's tactics from one of the Carthaginian wars, where you use the elephants as a big distraction to sneak in what you really want to happen. Right. And and so um, they the the gentlemen, the military gentlemen, the three of them uh, create a big distraction in order to allow Nova to sneak back into the TARDIS and activate the drones. Right. right. Also, I love how you know Faraday is has had a little bit more off-world experience than his commander, Halloran. I mean, he's been fighting in this robot arena, um, which we don't see hardly any of, it turns out, in the story. Just mm-hmm. he's dumped off there for a while, and then they collect him. 
but he's got he's more on top of this time and space travel thing than Halloran is, who has for the first time just been whisked out of 1959. And <laughs> Faraday is trying to explain that he thinks we're no longer on Earth, and Halloran is not buying it. And Gallia says, any fool can see that the spirits have taken us away from the earth. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, yep, yeah. he's right. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's interesting that the, the Roman has the uh, mental um, agility to conceive of a, of, a, of a world outside of our world, whereas the, uh, the this, yeah. you know, 1950s British officer is very rigid in his thinking. So, yeah. Well, I, I get a kick out of Dan Starkey in this because, of course, yeah. he played Strax and He's really playing Gallius as a scene Strax. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's very much a similar character, similar type of yeah. language. You know, always wanting to you know, attack, but actually in a scene way. And like Strax is like, let's just an- annihilate them all. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that it sounded at, at times, you know, some of his uh, very uh, Suntaran in his in his uh, language. Yeah, that was good. So the doctor again shows up to audrey this time as she's just about to activate the sphere of freedom uh now 10 years after the destruction of tarlicia yeah but by the way speaking of of gallius um at one point he's like they describe him as having muscles like hercules and then so the nova and halloran and faraday are having trouble keeping him down on the floor of the tardis when he when he's first resisting them and the doctor says to Nova, how do you know about Hercules? Because there's so much she doesn't know about ancient Earth history. And she says, 2D vids. Right. And, and then, you know, um, Gallius is like bursting free of them holding him down, saying he really wants to get out. And the doctor says, well, then we better let him out. And he opens the door and lets him jump out into the vortex. Right. But he says, don't worry, I've extended the force field, so he's going to be okay. And he's like hanging in the vortex. He's hanging onto the, onto the body with his fingers onto the bottom of the TARDIS door so he right. doesn't fall completely. And the doctor's like, you can let go if you want, but you're just going to you know, fall a ways and hit the force field. <laughs> it, it, we'll let you back in when you agree to be nice. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, Faraday is like, I think I'm going to be sick after looking at the vortex. And the doctor says, if you are, I'm going to push you right out. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting sick in the TARDIS control room. (laughs) Uh, They also apparently don't know anything about tea in the far future. That's uh, one of the drinks that they mentioned. They drink something called Charganzi. (laughs) Oh, and the doctor, (laughs) when he drinks it, makes the worst noises. If you have misophonia, he gets those lip smacking noises. It was driving me a little crazy. In the TARDIS wiki, a summary, they, I, I didn't pick this up from Christopher Eccleston's performance, but I could see how they got it. They, um, they, they, uh, suggest at TARDIS wiki that the doctor is tipsy mm-hmm. at this, at this point. Okay. And so apparently Charganzi may have an alcoholic component. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I got a little bit of that. He kind of played himself a little broadly. A little more loose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so the, the Audrey is activating the sphere of freedom and, and this is where she explains that the people being abducted into the games are having real experiences that feed back into the games that make them more addictive, which makes more profit to fund her research, to stop the ravagers. That sounds an awful, like a lot like uh, Facebook and meta, to be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if that was a little bit of commentary on some social media, uh, stuff. So, uh, what I didn't understand is is why they needed to abduct people from throughout time in order to make this work. Why not just 
people from her time. I mean, it just seems like it's an awful lot of extra work to scoop up people from other parts of only, time. Only thing I could think of is just the raw number of people they would need to do it. The the amount of fear response they would need just you know, needed. Because so, they're, they're talking billions of people when they're when oh. they describe how many people are involved or were, were being captured. So you try to figure, you know, people would notice billions of people going missing from one time. But if you went through all time over thousands, thousands of years, you, you'd just be the random missing yeah. person type. I took it in terms, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a good theory. I took it in terms of, um, that they wanted the disorientation that someone experiences if they've been ripped out of one time and dropped in another in an right. urgent situation. Mm-hmm. And all of this goes back to the Gallifreyan control node that she found. It's a piece of time travel technology. It works with time naturally. And so as her plan developed, she incorporated time eddies that were being generated by the uh, Gallifreyan control node into the plan. Okay. Okay. Both of those make sense. I in, think in fact, maybe a little of both. That yeah. may have been what the Gallifreyan control node was designed to do, mm. yank people out of time to serve in the time war. Mm, interesting. Has there been Big Finish uh, stuff on the time war? Oh, yeah. Lots yeah, of it. I would assume. Mm. Okay. It might be fun to, to, to delve into some of that mm. at some point. Yeah. They have, they have occasional things where someone else interacts with the time war. Mostly, it's uh, there have been three uh, actors who have engaged with it. I mean, there's there's more than this actually, but uh, the Eighth Doctor, who uh-huh. was the Doctor mm-hmm. when the Time War began, the War Doctor, played initially by John Hurt. Although now that he's passed on, I believe they have a new uh, actor doing uh, the young War Doctor, mm-hmm. and the War Master, played by Derek Jacobi. Um, there's a whole War Master series where we get to see Derek Jacobi's evil but nice and sometimes has a conscience master. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. Um, one, nice. one, of, one of my favorite uh, Time War-related stories from Big Finish is actually focuses on Susan, who is still living in the 22nd century on Earth, and she's grown up, and she's had, you know, she uh, has foster children and things like that. And the doctor, the eighth doctor, who she has reunited with on occasion is trying to stop Susan from learning about the time war because what Gallifrey has been doing, you remember those, those emergency cubes that they use to communicate like the Mm -hmm. second doctor did in the war games to contact Gallifrey for the first time. They've been sending out these, these communication cubes to all time Lords everywhere in space and time to recall them to service in the time war. And so one of these cubes is coming for Susan and the doctor keeps trying to, from behind the scenes, create situations that will stop Susan from learning about the time war. Mm. And eventually she does learn about the time war and says, this is my choice. I'm volunteering the end. And it's very powerful. Those are the cube. Those cubes are in uh, the doctor's wife as well. Yes. Uh The 11th doctor. Okay. Yeah. I remember those. So uh, back to this story, the the doctor, we have a, a series of scenes where the, I, I, it was a little confusing because I didn't remember exactly how this went in the other ones. But my get my understanding is he kept returning to like the drone planet to the sphere immediately before or immediately after or immediately after events that we'd already heard. So like he gets to the drone planet immediately after Nova first left with him. 
uh, for him to grab the prime drone that that is going to reprogram the rest, if, if I understand correctly. I like how he, he gives the prime drone a name after he's reprogrammed it. He calls it Cynthia. And they, and and they, that they needed to find a way to make, to communicate to the audience that's Cynthia with an S. Cynthia. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even the TARDIS wiki missed that one. They had it with the C. Um, and then he, uh, he gets to the sphere of freedom immediately after the TARDIS was first captured, uh, because he shows Audrey the drone fleet, but for some reason it's not ready. So she, uh, what is going to arrest them marcus of course starts a fight uh they get caught the doctor i like this the doctor ends up sort of strapped to a table like a like oh, james yeah. bond in a bond this is, thing and this she's is like fun it, it, it was just to pr- keep you from hurting yourself uh, let him go <laughs> yeah like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like oh strapped to an interrogation slab how cliche it's like no he just didn't want you to fall off <laughs> right. like, yeah, prove it okay and she undoes the straps and he sits up he's like oh okay i guess that was all they were for <laughs> because we've seen like the doctor in that very situation many times uh so uh the doctor then figures out that his future self has been appearing to audrey in the past and she hasn't been telling him anything about it so as not to mess up the timeline and that's what kind of what you're talking about before jimmy I, you know, so the the reason they give is, is she's afraid of giving him too much information, so he'll he won't be coming back the same way. That it will mess up because a causality problem, but that doesn't really track very well, right? I mean, that's sort well, of okay. It, I mean, in the moment, so if I put myself in Audrey's shoes, I know a little bit about time travel. I know time can be rewritten. I don't know what to what will affect what, but I do know this guy does not understand what's going on yet. Yeah, mm. I'll be real careful about what I tell him. Okay, but they one of the problems is they bring that in really late as an explanation, and um and and they've been cagey with each other for like three episodes now before we have this explanation. And they needed if they want them to be this cagey, they needed to justify it better. Right. They they kind of try with the insinuation is, or at least the insinuation that the TARDIS Wikia volunteers picked up, was that the Doctor is so disappointed with Audrey morally that he keeps walking away from her. And that mm. explains some of the Doctor's lack of wanting to interact with her as he keeps getting morally disgusted and psychically stalking off. But and that and that's a legitimate reading of what we hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I'm I, I I I don't find it plausible because I don't care how morally disgusted you are. Universe ending, dude. Interact <laughs> with the woman yeah. involved. Right, right, right. <laughs> if, she, if she's going to be the key to fixing it, you still got to talk to her. There was a nice moment where Nova tells Marcus that the doctor frowns on killing. So if he wants to get a ride home, he's going to yeah. need to pull his punches and not, yeah. not kill anyone. Is 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 punching OK within reason? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was fun. Um, so Nova ends up activating the droid fleet, the drone fleet, not droid fleet, drone fleet. And she's really pleased and they start destroying the offending time particles. And she's really pleased because it. Because she wasn't sure that she, the doctor, you know, the doctor had whether he'd locked it to just his voice. But the fact that he allowed her to activate it means that he trusted her. And that was yeah. a big deal to her. So it's that was a big, interesting. Big moment for her. And one of the last things she remembers in the aborted timeline. 
Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Which is, you know, sort of bittersweet because they've mm-hmm. developed a relationship that gets wiped out. Um, so without the time particles, the time eddies get out of control. The central arc breaks down. The ravagers are escaping. The doctor saves Audrey from getting sucked into a time eddy, but he ends up inside and Nova. it. Yep. And Nova. Right, and Nova. Uh, and he uses the node <clears throat> to do all this communicating with Audrey throughout her life. Uh, when its power runs out, he ends up in the neutron star with the Ravagers, which is a, a neat trick since you can't really exist in a neutron star. But we'll just. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 th- I the way I understood it was in he's still in the time eddy, but he's able to right. interact with the outside, which is like how he's interacting with um, psychically with the with uh, Audrey during different periods of her life. And then he's also able to interact psychically with one of the ravagers in their domain, but he's not like fully out of the time eddy and crushed into neutrons yet. Okay. And, th- and that's where he figures out that the fear pheromones are holding back the ravagers because it's satiating them. Yeah. They refer to it as the sweetness. And if they don't have the sweetness, then they have to eat everything. Okay. But they don't, and this is another writing flaw. They don't, uh, or if they did, I, it went by so fast. I missed it. They don't explain how the doctor knows that it's their own fear pheromones. He just shows up later and announces this. Yeah. Um, they should have done something to say it to at least, even if they don't want to tell us that it's their own fear pheromones at this point in the story, they needed to do something where the doctor to communicate that the doctor figured out something important about the fear pheromones. It's like, oh, I see what you guys are actually doing. Thank you so much. Right, and right. and then later he'll he can announce it's their own pheromones that they're get that they're getting off on. Okay, and it turns out that the a combination of the TARDIS key, the TARDIS, and the node, because they're all Gallifrey and tech, and the Sonic, and the Sonic. Yep, they're all mm-hmm. working together to hold back the Ravengers and sustain the Doctor. And this is where we get the line: "The food is fighting back." This the title: "Food fight." Yeah, um, and the Doctor so, being the food. Yes. Mm. The uh, so the doctor ends up going back to the first time he met Nova, um, and he he does ask her here, and he'll 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 figure it out later. He asks her why she knows so much about time travel, uh, and so that's gonna I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, but he has to win her over all all over again. Like in the first episode, he was she accused him of stalking her and following her, and she was you know, and he had to explain, no, I'm going the same way. Now he says, yeah, no, I really am actually following you because I need to talk to you and you know convince you. Um, then the doctor summons Audrey and tells her he's here in the right order this time. And so she's friendlier because of that. And then, uh, that's when the doctor explains how the Ravagers are living off their own fear. And, uh, when they play the immersive reality game, they experience a fear reaction when they witness the fear of others. And so that's what they're addicted to. Um, and then he comes up with this idea to modify the game to not need people. And I like the transition they make at this point because, you know, if this were Voyager, we would have mm-hmm. to have an ending where they're standing in front of consoles talking dramatically about how they're reprogramming stuff. And yes. yeah. instead, the doctor just lays out, here's what we need to do. Audrey agrees, and we cut to a fireworks celebration. And we learn yeah. it's worked, and the sound of the fireworks and the cheering and everything. It's an effectively moving ending, um, right. mm-hmm. and I like that they didn't they didn't need to walk us through the execution. Once we once the audience understands the concept of what we're going to do, we don't need to slog through the individual mechanics 
of of putting that into action, it's okay to just flash forward and yay, it worked. Awesome. It's done. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And so during that celebration, this is when the doctor and Nova do talk about like how do you know so much? And it's the initial implication is she's more than she seems. Maybe she's a, a Gallifreyan, you know, <laughs> one of the surviving time lords. Yeah, uh, but it turns not out so much. Yeah, she just she watches science fiction vids with her dad. And- she, she is more than she seems. She's a sci-fi nerd. <laughs> yeah, and and there's a special thing at this point. She said mm-hmm. the doctor asks her what what's your favorite program, and she says mm-hmm. Professor X. And and this is an in joke in Doctor Who fandom. Mm-hmm. Professor X is the equivalent of the program Doctor Who. In right. the Doctor Who universe, right, and so it's it's so this is very self-referential. So in the Doctor Who universe, they don't have a TV show called Doctor Who about a space-time traveler with companions. Instead, they have a show called Professor X about a space-time traveler with companions. <laughs> and and Nova says she has seen all eight hundred and sixty-one episodes of Doc of Professor X. Which is um, the exact number of television episodes of Doctor Who that had appeared when this was recorded. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so she's, <laughs> she's seen the complete run. And this is not, uh, Professor X is not the only fandom parody of Doctor Who. If you watch the uh, sitcom Community, which is also very meta, uh-huh. there there is within the community universe there is another doctor who surrogate show called inspector spacetime and inspect there have been like 12 inspectors uh, or so one of them very controversially a woman who was <laughs> not popular with all of the fans um even though this was years ago when this was introduced oh, in- inspector minerva was the controversial feminist incarnation of the inspector the inspector has constables that travel with him through space time in a phone booth, you know, one of those <laughs> one of those red British phone booths. Yep. And he fights Blorgons instead of Daleks and all kinds of stuff. But there's a whole, uh, in addition to Professor X being a Doctor Who surrogate parody, Inspector Space Time is also a Doctor Who surrogate parody in fandom. That's awesome. I suppose some people could deride this whole thing, like the, the whole the doctor going gaga over her being a um, uh, a nerd, a sci-fi nerd. Mm-hmm. He's more teasing her about it than anything else. Yeah. yeah, I suppose some people would. Oh, it's just fan service, you know, p- uh, uh, pandering to the fans because everyone listening to this will be a sci-fi nerd. But I don't know. It's like fan service has become a sort of a dirty word, but. But you, fans are your bread and butter. Why not like give fans what they want and and yeah. you know have a fun little thing like this? I don't have a problem with and doing it, that at all. It's not excessive. It's just a wink to the fans, and winking yeah. at the fans occasionally is is good. And yeah. maybe a little bit of Christopher Eccleston sort of shows um, appreciation for the fans who kind of brought him back to Doctor Who. Frankly, mm-hmm. uh, I would I wouldn't be surprised if that if that was the case a little bit as well. Well. And she didn't quite understand what the term nerd meant, but she's like, you're, you're mocking me, aren't you? You know, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yes. Yeah. That was, that was good. So, um, any other notes on this episode? Anything left to say, Father Corey? Nothing here. How about you, Jimmy? One thing that I didn't like, and I like this overall, you know, it's a good story. Um, I'm enjoyed it. I'm glad Christopher, Christopher Eccleston is doing this again. One thing I didn't like is some of the sound design of robots 
and when the doctor is speaking psychically. Mm. I do not know what it is. Maybe people's ears work different in the UK than they do elsewhere in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. But British sound design is frequently terrible. Yeah. It is it is very hard to understand things at times. I mean, do they have super loud speakers in <laughs> on their TV? I mean, all the way back in the 70s, I noticed this when I was watching British TV on the local PBS station here in America, the public broadcasting service station. The sound was always terrible. You had to crank it up and it was mushy. And I don't know why British sound design is so terrible frequently. But Mm -hmm. like when the robots are talking, when the drones are talking, it is often very hard to understand them. And if you crank up the volume to understand the drones, everyone else is too loud now. Mm -hmm. Um, And same thing when the doctor is psychically talking to Audrey, they're putting this kind of echo sort of effect on his voice that makes him hard to understand, too. And it's like, note to all British sound designers, when you're using a special effect to alter a voice, dial it back mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah. cut it in half yeah no i and i definitely agree with jimmy on that Same i actually here. had to use headphones to listen to these three-parters you know headphones off my computer and that helped a little bit and yeah. I, I do have a little bit of hearing loss so i mean that it's it's needed but um yeah i agree though there's there's times where it's just i completely miss a line and she's like okay well i hope it wasn't an important one because <laughs> i didn't catch that well this is why so often i i have either the uh the the Doctor Who uh, transcripts site open when those are available. Mm. Not every episode, like the big finished ones aren't available there. But, uh, you know, if if there's a transcript, I'm reading it as, along with it. Or if I'm watching the show on TV, I'll often have subtitles on. Just I got to, you know, it's sometimes it's really hard to catch that line. It's not just the accent. It's it's the yeah, it's the sound design, like the, the any robot voices uh, some, and some of these weird, you know, effects that makes it really hard to to understand i'm i'm in agreement with that anything else but fortunately they're not the main players in this so yes right it's a brief issue and then it's gone yeah all right so i think that might do it for us this time uh we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of doctor who including amanda m pear h stephen h robert b and peter h their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you think of this big finish three-part story, The Ravagers, including this one called Food Fight. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. Until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and the sun has got its hat on, so we better get out of here. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest, and remember, he's a mildly incompetent British officer, but he does his best. 